Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. Thanks, Corm, and uh, be careful out there, uh, as I said on Hill Street Blues many years ago. Uh, we are now, uh, I'm welcome to the show, Kimberly Lipinski, who's the Director of Nutrition and Wellness for Central Vermont Council on Aging. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and you and I had a lively discussion last week, and I'm so excited to have you here because there, this, it's a really amazing program that you've put together. And uh, let's start with... The, the recipe database, so what is that? Okay, so we've received a grant from Meals on Wheels America to develop a recipe database for therapeutic meals. This recipe database also includes collecting and preserving recipes on Vermont's histo- culinary history as well. Um, so we are looking for recipes from the public and from our clients specifically to tailor to work for us in the Meals on Wheels programs. So when you, you're you talking about old-time recipes, grandma's uh, baked beans or whatever it is, right? That's right. Uh, and, and going back, so anybody in the public who has a sort of a nostalgic feel-good recipe um, can contact and submit. That's right. We have an email, recipes at cvcoa.org, where anyone can send us a recipe. You don't have to type it in. You can uh, take a snapshot and email the photo of a recipe card, maybe, if that's easier for you, whatever works. Okay. And so recipes, um, can we talk a little bit about things have changed, right? There were there were old staple recipes that sometimes were based on economics and um, stretching the dollar and stretching the food at the table. Is that right? That's right. So we've received um, several cookbooks through, throughout the um, 18, 1800s and 1900s. We have a, a few of them to look at. And I've noticed that around the time of the Depression, gelatin shows up. Okay. So people put vegetables in gelatin, meat in gelatin, fruit in gelatin, everything in gelatin. So there's, you know, um, like a beef-flavored gelatin with meat and vegetables, for example, recipes such as that. And I was really curious about that. Um, what's with this gelatin? Well, during the Depression, there was uh, an informational campaign that went out that said that you could get extra protein and nutrients from gelatin. And for people that were having a hard time finding sources for protein, gelatin was a really inexpensive alternative. So it really just it made its way onto our tables and into our cookbooks. And now it's kind of made its way out. I, I think everyone has probably a jello recipe with, you know, uh, fruit in it of some type. Um, probably not one with meat anymore. Yeah. Uh, mandarin oranges come to mind. So you're either having a good flashback right now or a bad flashback on some of these. And, and was there in fact a, a nutritional value to the gelatin? Sure. Yeah. There was some nutritional value to that. I don't think it would sustain you, but yeah. you know, in time when it, during the depression, anything I'm sure 
Right. So we're talking with Kimberly Lipinski. Uh, she is with the Central Vermont Council on Aging. Maybe you've got an old recipe that is your comfort food that you want to tell us about. Give us a call, 802-244-1777. There's, there's just so many out there, um, Kimberly. What are, what are some of the ones that are your getting a lot of repetition. It's just the comfort food of comfort food. Oh, let's see. Uh, meatloaf is probably at the top of the list Okay. for that. Yeah, shepherd's pie is also very popular. And then a Canadian meat pie is very regional for this area. That's, that's a popular recipe as well. And are there as many variations as submittals of, of how they're prepared? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. There's Everyone has their own version of meatloaf, I think, for example. Right. Um, and so you're also looking at the nutritional value of the old recipe. Is that right? That's right. So the way this works is if you submit a recipe to us, we will catalog it as is for its historical value. But we're also going to take some of these recipes and look at them to be included into the Meals on Wheels program as a therapeutic meal. So there may be some changes that will have to happen to some of those recipes, um, maybe a healthier fat source, for example, or a little bit of reduced sugar, um, certainly reduced sodium salt in the, in the recipe. Um, so what we're doing is we're having dietetic students look at these recipes and rewrite them so that they fit the Older American Act requirements for a Meals on Wheels meal, first of all. And then they look at them for value as a low-sodium heart-healthy meal, as one of the ones that will be offered, and make changes as necessary. Now you might say to yourself, oh, they just ruined that recipe. What's it going to taste like? Well, that's when we send it to a professional chef who will test that recipe and probably make further alterations to make sure it's still delicious and comforting. The next step would be to send that recipe out on the menu to some of our Meals on Wheels programs. So we're partnering with the... um, Meals on Wheels of Central Vermont and Meals on Wheels of Lamoille County. And they are working with us to gather recipes from clients, but they're going to put these test recipes into the menu and send them out to clients and we'll survey them to see, you know, what they like and, you know, get feedback. Yeah. And are you getting some feedback already? Has this occurred, this testing out? No, we're not at the testing stage yet. Right now we're still gathering recipes. So, Right now, we're just trying to get as many recipes as we can from as many sources as possible. So is that chef going to be able to preserve the integrity of those big slabs of bacon on the meatloaf? (laughs) Ah, yeah. Well, I don't know about that. Um, That probably won't be the version that gets put into the Meat on Wheels program, but that would be a version that would be cataloged for sure. Yeah, so people could definitely make their own if they wanted to. Yes. Um, So the Meals on Wheels program is is just an incredible, um, in so many ways. Can you talk about that, how that works in, in our region? Sure. So the Meals on Wheels program is designed for people that are homebound and unable to cook or prepare meals for themselves or, or um, get groceries. So that's, that's really the core of the Meals on Wheels program, who we serve. There are also meals available at what we call congregate sites. So that's a community-style meal at a senior center, for example. And many of our meals nutrition sites also offer a grab-and-go option. So you can just stop by and pick up your meal to go as well. So there's those three ways to get a meal 
if you're, you know, for seniors here in, in central Vermont. Right. And is there sort of a prorated cost, um, depending on income and stuff for this? It's, it's donation based. It's, so there's always a suggested donation. Okay. Wow. Uh, great service. And then you get volunteers who get in their car and deliver meals all over the place, right? Oh my. Yeah. We have uh, hundreds of volunteers that are delivering meals every day. We have volunteers in the kitchen as well, helping to prepare the meals. There's volunteers from, from the very first to the end of this product. With somebody sort of overseeing, but it would give somebody the ability to kind of learn how to cook too, right? With, with the right supervision. Absolutely. If you volunteered in the kitchen, I'm sure you have a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and desserts included? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. There are desserts. Um, they have to be a, a healthy version. It's usually fruit based, like, a, you know, an apple crumble, you know, things like that. So not so much the cakes and cookies, but, right. you know. Fruit desserts. Um, we are talking with Kimberly Lipinski, who's the Director of Nutrition and Wellness, uh, Central Vermont Council on Aging. When we left, we were talking a little bit on about Meals on Wheels, uh, Kimberly, and Meals on Wheels has other functions besides just providing food, right? That's right. An important part of the Meals on Wheels program is the wellness check. So those volunteers are going out every day, Monday through Friday, for the most part, to visit the clients. And they are not allowed to leave a meal, for example, on a on a porch or a stoop. They have to make contact with the client and speak to them and make sure they're okay. So they're, you know, eyes and ears for our organization on the ground, noticing any other uh, supports they may need, um, which, you know, they will make a referral for. And I remember from my own experience, my mother was a little reluctant to have Meals on Wheels come. You know, she felt like she was burdening somebody or something, but it, it's just a great program of giving. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. If, if you are qualified for Meals on Wheels, you absolutely, you know, should look into that for support for yourself for nutrition. Yeah. And we'd also, I suppose, do a shout out to uh, ch- children who have more elderly parents and, and have them sort of think about this wellness piece as, additionally. That's right. That's right. It's it's a really wonderful program for people. And I think it gives peace in mind to the adult children that are out there, you know, knowing that someone's checking in on your mom or dad every day. And uh, the people who deliver the meals, I assume they start developing a friendship with people as they move along, too. It's a social thing as well. It certainly is. I think every driver spends, you know, 10 or 15 minutes sometimes with each delivery. Deliveries take hours um, because they do spend some time with each client. Yeah. What a nice part of that, though. Yeah. For some people, that might be the only person they speak to that day. It's a really important visit. Yeah. So what are the most um, unusual sort of nostalgic meals that you are, are seeing? Is there anything that comes to mind that you're, like, chuckling about? <laughs> oh, um, well, let's see. Um, there's certainly some for a lot of uh, venison and different types of meats that were hunted. Uh, obviously, people eat venison now, but I have a cookbook from the 1800s, and there's all kinds of mammals in there. Wow. With the recipes. Oops. Yeah, so how do 
prepare a bear. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, I'm, there's there's recipes for that. Yeah, very interesting. And you and I talked last week. There were things like salmon pea wiggle or um, dried beef gravy, which maybe isn't as attractive to uh, like my 14 year old daughter might run from the house, but if you grew up with that. It, it, it is a comfort food. Oh, I think it's a delicious comforting meal, and it can be made a uh, low-sodium version of that so that it's healthier for folks. Right. And so let's talk a little bit about uh, – you, you, you told me about uh, people with Alzheimer's and dementia, how food becomes an important part to them too. That's right. So I spent a number of years as a caretaker of persons with different types of dementia. And as any caregiver will tell you, uh, mealtime can be particularly difficult. So people might ha- not have a really terrific appetite any longer. Um, but the other thing that can happen is if you're giving them modern foods, uh, they might not recognize it as food. I found it, it was very important to provide foods from persons' childhoods or their younger years that they remembered really well. And that was what was comforting to them. So you, you, you know, you want to get, maybe you want to do the kale, quinoa, arugula for the health, right? But they're going to look at that maybe and not recognize what it is. And you have a struggle. So by providing foods that they recognize from their childhood, you eliminate a lot of that struggle and meal times are much easier. Amazing. If you have a comfort food you want to share with us, give us a quick call. We're at 802-244-1777. Something your mother or your grandmother or grandfather made that just uh, when you walked in the house and could smell it cooking, you went, ah, life is good. Uh, we are talking with Kimberly Lipinski. Um, how do they get in touch again on submitting recipes and, 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 you know, then what will happen to the recipes? So the best way is to email a recipe to this address. It's recipes at cvcoa.org. And I will reply to you and I'll probably ask you if you have a story that goes with that recipe or any kind of history that we can include. And right. that's the best way to get it to us. Right. And then this will, what will happen to that then? The recipe will be cataloged as is, and then it will be examined for inclusion in the therapeutic meal program. Okay. And then if I want to access that and I'm, I'm, you know, somebody living anywhere, do they go to, will they eventually go to a website and see all the recipes? That should be possible. We're still in the development of this database and figuring out where it's going to be hosted and how. Um, it's really the beginning stages of the project. But yeah. That is the intention. And you talked about, uh, when we talked last week about um, cooking methods maybe have changed a little bit. We have microwaves and all that stuff, but some of these recipes were based on wood-burning cooking as well. Oh, that's right. In fact, um, one of my cookbooks is from 1846, and when you read recipes, it says, put this in a fast oven, a slow oven, or a moderate oven. And so I was wondering, well, how the heck do you know what that is? What temperature is that, right? So I read more in the book, and it explained that you take a one-inch square of paper, and you throw it into the oven box 
box of your wood stove and you count the seconds it takes to turn to ash. And depending on how quickly it turns to ash, that tells you if your oven is slow, fast, or moderate. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It's not a little dial above the uh, burners. Uh, we're going to go to the phone lines. Uh, ben from Moortown, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. Good morning, Ben. Well, we may have Ben. I'm not sure. Well, we'll get back. Uh, if Ben comes live, we'll, uh, we'll have him in a moment. Um, so the, uh, all, all of these meals, um, are, you're, you're transitioning them from maybe what was, what was regarded as an unhealthy recipe to a healthy recipe, but preserving the integrity of the dinner. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That's the challenge. That exactly. is a challenge. And, right. and where are you finding these chefs? Oh, we have a wonderful chef. Her name is Chef Joey Butendorf. Um, she used to be part of the Necky or, um, school. Yep. And she's been working with us doing training for our cooks at all of our different nutrition sites so that they know how to cook a low-sodium, heart-healthy meal and other therapeutic meals. And these meals are governed by federal law as well? or, or That's right. The Older American Act re- has the requirements for the meal okay. in it. And is there any connection to schools or school children, or will there be? Is, I mean, they would probably be interested in, in this whole project because they're meals that they never experienced, but we all love some of us older people. <laughs> That's a great idea to do outreach at a school. Um, we do plan to have some type of a taste testing event, at, you know, later in the summer, and that that would be wonderful to include them. We are partnering with the University of Vermont, University of New England, and State University of Vermont Johnson. Yeah, um, and working with their students on this project throughout the entirety of it. It, it's intriguing to me that you may find that um, generationally people may love something or or not love it so much. Is that what you think? Is, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, particularly chipped beef on toast with gravy. I think that might be acquired taste. Um, I still find it delicious. Um, the low sodium version. Yeah. That's me. And what is what's your favorite nostalgic um, feel good meal? I would have to go to beef stew. I just remember my mom making beef stew, and it was so hearty and delicious, and we'd put different grains in it, you know, and it was just a really great, complete meal. So did she simmer on the stove or have it in the oven? Um, she put it actually on, on a wood stove in a cast iron pot and just let it simmer for hours and in the wintertime when the wood stove was going. I often think if I interviewed Davy Crockett, I'd say, you know, um, can tell us a little bit about your life. You'd go born on a mountaintop in Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here you have a, a wood stove history and sort of frontier uh, background. Um, well, maybe the way we lived at home, but we were in a suburb of Boston. So okay. I, it, there was no mountains or forests, <laughs> but we certainly had a, a really nice upbringing. A, ch- a choice thing, yeah. Right. Yeah, very good. Uh, talking with Kimberly Lipinski, Director of Nutrition and Wellness, uh, very quickly, how do they get recipes to you again? Please take a snapshot of a recipe card or type it up and email it to recipes at cvcoa.org.
Thank you. And then um, it'll go into a database. You'll collect a whole lot. Will you have varied recipes of one particular meal? Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. You'll be able to do a search, for instance, on beef stew and get a dozen different versions of beef stew. Very cool. Exactly. And one may sort of... Uh, ring a bell of what you had as a kid. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, what a great and exciting program. Um, we'll have you back, Kimberly, once this gets more developed and, uh, we'll be very interested to learn what the, what the top tiered old recipes are of comfort food. Thank you. I'd love to share with you. That'd be great. Uh, this is Kimberly Lipinski, uh, Director of Nutrition and Wellness. I'm Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV. If you see uh, rain damage, uh, uh, traveled roads you can't get through, give us a call, 802-244-1777. Be safe. Good morning and welcome back. This is Brad Furlan, your host on Vermont Viewpoint. I'm your Monday host normally. Uh, I do have a show with Elizabeth Von Trapp on Thursday, a, a holiday show that I look forward to having her back and listening to a lot of her music. And uh, we're going to be talking about life. And uh, the, today's show has really been about service. We have the Vermont Air and um, National Guard uh, representatives on Kimberly Lipinski is Director of Nutrition and Wellness. She talked about Meals on Wheels and these great nostalgic uh, recipes that they're getting to deliver out to uh, people who are, who are getting Meals on Wheels. And now my next guest uh, uh, is no stranger to public service. Welcome to the show, Governor Phil Scott. Good morning, Brad. Nice to have you here. Uh, when I, when I saw you a, a, a month or so ago, I was interested in having you on the show and I, I said to you, but we're not going to talk politics and, and you reacted favorably. <laughs> well, we, we might want to just uh, talk a little bit about the roads uh, for a minute if you have Sure. A of uh, course. I heard, I heard Steve uh, reporting on some of that earlier, but, uh, we do have some um, problem, trouble spots across the, the state. Seems like it's uh, geographically distributed. Almost every single district has something uh, down in like Londonderry and Jamaica. Uh, there's uh, there's water over the roads uh, in some locations. Ludlow as well, uh, and as you reported, Rochester, Hancock, Unbridge, um, Woodstock, and uh, Addison has some minor flooding too. So. You know, we have uh, Roxbury as well in Berlin, um, even up in up in Eden. Uh, so, again, uh, right up into Barton, every every single district has some some issues. So, just everyone should be wary of that. Uh, be careful. You know, hydroplaning, you know, water comes up over the road, and and uh, if you're going at a rate of speed that uh, could could cause some some harm in, in a lot of respects. So just slow down. Uh, just be aware of what you're getting yourself into. And if you see water across the road, uh, don't don't assume uh, that there's any bottom to it. Uh, just be very careful. Yeah, it's been say uh, that is something that we have seen in the rural roads where people try to cross and they get into trouble. Um, is there a prediction of, of sort of is this going to continue, Governor? Or or do you yeah, think? Yeah, I mean we're we're still. 
we're still we've got quite a bit of rain uh, that's happening right now across the state. Um, so as we know, um, and we're all too familiar with this, it's not right in the rainstorm sometimes. It's just after or at the latter end of that. Uh, so I expect uh, the rivers haven't crested yet, and they're going to. So uh, I would expect that we're going to have uh, a little bit of minor flooding, uh, but I'll have a briefing on that uh, early afternoon to see where, exactly where we are. But, but I would expect that the, the rivers will continue to rise. Yeah, and we'll uh, continue uh, safety coverage here at WDEV, so stay tuned, uh, and we look forward to hearing more from you, Governor, on updates around the state and safety, keeping Vermonters safe. Uh, earlier, I talked uh, with, uh, as I mentioned, the Director of Nutrition and Wellness, and I'll start with easy stuff. Uh, she was talking about these nostalgic recipes. Is is there uh, a comfort food in in your life from way back when, Governor? That that you comes to mind? Well, the one thing that does come to mind, maybe it's the time of year, but uh, we used to in Barry. I grew up there, and we used to have uh, the ravioli shop there. Of course, uh, a lot of Italians in in Barry, um, but uh, we would we would have raviolis on. Christmas Eve. Uh, that was our big meal. That's when we had it. We went to church and then, uh, then afterwards, uh, had, uh, raviolis and, and, and they were, uh, such high demand and, and expensive in some respects, or at the time it seemed like they were expensive. Uh, my family, we would get, uh, like there were five of us, so they'd get 50 and, and you were allotted like 10 raviolis each. Wow. So, uh, yeah. T- <laughs> And, and so uh, you didn't have to eat them all at that time. You could save some, but they were yours. Once you got your allotment, <laughs> you could put them away and have uh, three or four the next day or whatever it was. So uh, nostalgic in that respect and uh, kind of a comfort food. And, and it's uh, it was just they were excellent. It seemed they were probably better uh, from memory than they actually were, but, but I would expect they were pretty good. And you and two brothers, did you have to fiercely guard your ration? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and you, everybody counted and put them aside, and, yeah, you'd have to guard those. Months later, found under the pillow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I looked at a, a picture, an older picture, and it, it looked to me like you were the, the middle of three. Is that right? Or, or That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're very close in age, my older brother and I. Uh, well, within a year, and uh, so, um, well, close to a year, anyhow. Yeah. Um, and uh, and my younger uh, brother was three years younger. So we, um, your dad uh, had a, a military service. He uh, received substantial injuries from a D-Day invasion, uh, and. The and and then passed early in your life when when you were eleven years old and I I share that and I'm particularly drawn to that my I lost my dad when I was eight and so I'm always interested in the journey of of sort of the early years of of you know how how that you how you cope with that first of all who the role models and the strength were around you uh, what about that governor. Yeah, um, you know, we had, uh, I had a lot of family, uh, both on my mom and dad's side. And, and, uh, first of all, with my dad, you know, very proud of, of him and his service and, 
learned more about him uh, after the fact than I knew at that time. He died when I was 11. But um, he uh, um, he didn't, you know, he didn't make his injuries, his uh, his physical uh, disability get in the way of anything, really. I mean, he, he did everything he possibly could for us. Uh, took us, drove us to Florida in the back. You know, we'd all be in the back of the station wagon, three boys heading to Florida with in the family truckster, and to take us like two or three days to get there. But I can't imagine that trip uh, today uh, with three kids. Um, but um, he uh, he was someone who was so independent. Uh, he still drove, as I said. Uh, he was a truck driver by trade. Worked for the state. Uh, and uh, and just gave back, and and he never ever ever complained about what happened to him, and uh, and I think that that's uh, that's something that I've learned uh, from him. With everything he could have complained about, he didn't, and he was just uh, happy to be uh, to survive uh, World War II. It happened on the way after D-Day. Uh, on the way to St. Lowe of France uh, to liberate St. Lowe. He was with uh, Patton's Third Army, and he was a tank operator, and they hit a landmine. So spent two years in Walter Reed Hospital, which uh, you think about that, uh, two years um, before he came back home. So that's when he met my mom. And, and again, after that, you know, when he passed away at 11, we were surrounded by um, – whole host of family members again on both sides who uh, kind of took us in and I, I didn't really I didn't realize that at the time but you know we would spend I would spend um, weekends with um, both uh, aunts and uncles on again both sides uh, of, um, of our family and they uh, they treated us like one of their own and and they were a huge influence on me in so many different ways uh, and they and they helped us and they didn't they didn't forget us so, yeah, that family was really important. We're talking with Governor Phil Scott. We're uh, varying from politics a little and just about journey and role models. Governor, I'm really taken by what you said about your dad being in in recovery hospital for two years. It, it certainly speaks to courage to to want to do that and and overcome um, major injuries. Was that sort of one of the landmarks for you of, of of seeing that you could you could tackle any problem if you had the right attitude? Well, I think uh, again, surrounding myself with the family member teams that I had at that point, watching. And again, I my dad um, made our life ordinary, which may sound like that's what's the big deal, uh, but. He was an extraordinary person who, again, he was a double amputee, um, but he still mowed the lawn. He he still uh, took us camping. He he bought a camper because of his truck driving skills. He backs it into the garage, you know, uh, like it was a pop up. <laughs> but but those little things like that, uh, again, he didn't let anything get in the way of him giving us the normal life that he wanted us to live. So. There was that, but again, my mom. You know, I think about what she went through. She she met my dad um, as a double amputee. She didn't let that get in the way whatsoever. So it, it says a lot about her. And and again, it all centers, and then it, it transfers to 
you know, rural Vermont in uh, Lake Elmore because that's where my mom and dad met. My mom uh, was going to Johnson State College and uh, living with her sister in Lake Elmore at the time, uh, but she was uh, working part-time at the store. My dad, who uh, long before ADA, couldn't get into the store. That's the same store that's there today. But uh, but he couldn't get into the store, so he'd call in his groceries. He'd build a camp on the backside of the lake, call in his groceries, and my mom would bring them out to him. And that's how they met. That's and uh, from, from yeah. there, uh, you know, again, uh, after my dad passed away, uh, my aunt Mary, Mary Hoisington, kind of took me in. And she was just such an influence on my life. And I learned more about her and all she gave as well because she had an older sister um, who um, – who died of, uh, of cancer um, at a very young age, had two young kids. And, and my Aunt Mary, which I didn't know at the time, she was going to become a doctor. And she put that aside uh, to take care of her sister and the kids and was a, an RN uh, for her whole life. But, but she put aside something that she wanted to do for somebody else. Mm. And uh, it's something ingrained in me from... So many, so many of my mentors uh, throughout life. But my Aunt Mary uh, started the, uh, with, along with two other people, the Memorial Area Cancer Network. And I remember, again, this tells you a lot about her, too. Uh, it was a true nonprofit. They've given away millions of dollars. People in a, in a rural community raising that kind of money year in and year out is just amazing. My daughter uh, has followed in her footsteps. My Aunt Mary has passed away due to cancer. But she was a cancer survivor, and they and they did good work there. And I, I remember bragging about her one time on the radio, and I said, you know, 100 percent of their of the proceeds go out to people. They don't they don't have any overhead. They don't use any money for anything. Uh, everything she she's in her uh, living room in Lake Elmore, and they get together and they write checks to people just to help them out. And um, she she called me and she said, well, that's not quite right. She said we. We do uh, we do t- take money out uh, for postage stamps when we send the checks. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I I'm thinking of your dad in this camp and and your mom coming and delivering the meals. Did he start eating more? Did he develop a, a much greater <laughs> appetite? <laughs> yeah, probably. Right, you know, two or three times a day, he'd drive over and pick them up, and she would just run out of the store and okay. deliver the, the the groceries to him. Um, but but again, I mean, it just says a lot about both of them. I mean, he didn't let it get in the way, and she didn't either. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just again, I I uh, I learn. I still learn from both of them. My mom, um, she's still one of my role models. My Mary, I, I think about her fondly, and all the good things she did. And and again, throughout my family, there was a lot of good people. Well, for sure. And I, I have a personal affinity. Listeners, some listeners may know I climb Elmore Mountain every full moon for the last like three years and watch the moon rise if it's not snowing or raining coming over the lake. And it, it's one of the most beautiful and romantic areas in, in all of Vermont. So what a great place to have some roots. It's, uh, it's something that, uh, again, has been special to me. I think about everything that my Aunt Mary and her family provided me going there weekends, spending summers there, had everything that I wanted. You know, I'd love to hunt and fish and swim and boat and snowmobile and motorcycle and hike the mountain. I mean, it has everything and uh, truly a unique place. Yeah, and you picked up uh, 
mechanical skills. I'm intrigued by that. You were fixing motorcycles. What was the the hot motorcycle of the day that you put a wrench to? I probably my my first bike of my own. I built a it was a Triumph Tiger 500, but it was I I chopped it, baked the front end. That was in the you know 70s when that was popular, and uh, so that was that was the first. But I still have. I have a half a dozen motorcycles still today, and I had a motorcycle business uh, as a result, and just really loved the snowmobiles and motorcycles and cars, and so. But I gained a lot of that. I I think mostly uh, from my experience in Memorial County. Uh, there was just so many people there that loved the same things that I did, and and uh, we did a lot of it. And you weren't afraid of anything, is that right? Uh, no, I'm, there's, there's a few things I'm afraid of, but none of them involve speed or (laughs) you do have a track record, uh, we'll say, um, and then, uh, were some of the skill sets, things that you had observed from your dad, the mechanical things, the fixing? No, not at all. My, my, my dad, I don't think had a mechanical bone in his body. I think it came from my mom, uh, more than anything. And, and probably the racing as well. My, my mom is a big race fan, NASCAR fan. She, she knows more about NASCAR than, than I do. She tells me all the gossip when I call her and she watches it every, every Sunday when it's on and, and watch almost every night as well. She's a huge fan. She moved to Florida and in the Daytona area. Uh, just to be near the racetrack. Uh-huh. Uh, so she she loves it. Uh, my mom and dad took us when we went to those early days. Uh, we I remember us going. Uh, that's where we would go to Florida in the Daytona area, and uh, they would take us to the racetrack during practice time uh, because it was there was no cost to get in. My, we could drive into the center of the track. My dad didn't have to worry about getting up in the stands or anything, so we could watch. And uh, so that was their first foray, I think, into in, into big time racing. But my mom used to take us to Thunder Road uh, every every Thursday night. Uh huh. Um, we're running out of time, Governor. But just last uh, quick words: um, Can is there hope for people? Can can they overcome adversity? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes you have to dig deep, and sometimes you have to help somebody out, give them a hand up. Um, there, There is so many things we can do uh, to help one another that we're not doing enough of. I think we count on too many people to take care of, you know, there's always the go-to people to, to take care of things, but you can have you can have an effect on somebody's life and you might not even know it. It's a simple thing, so simple random acts of kindness that can really help somebody out in, during a, a truly uh, desperate time. So just do that, you know, shovel a neighbor's sidewalk off, ask them if they need some help and uh, don't be afraid to, to step out. Well, you've been a tremendous role model. You walk the walk, Governor. Really appreciate you taking the time out today, especially with the rain, uh, for being with us on uh, Vermont Viewpoint. Thank you. Well, thank you, Brad. And be safe out there. Thank you. Uh, this is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV. I'll see you on Thursday with Elizabeth Von Trapp.